This series contains adult language and descriptions of graphic violence throughout. Listener discretion is advised. Cavalry Audio. I'm Carolyn Osorio, and this is my new podcast, The Murder Chronicles. You're listening to episode 19, Terror at the Farmhouse. Raymond, Washington is a small city which borders the Willapa Bay in Pacific County, Washington. The town, historically known for its logging and bustling shellfish industry, now, according to the city of Raymond's website, has evolved with the times boasting a robust cannabis manufacturing operation and tourism. Which is all to say, if you're looking to escape the city life, Raymond is a place to relax and enjoy the salty air blowing in off the Pacific Ocean or a scenic drive around the Willapa Hills touring a patch of small farms, wildlife, and nature. Back in the early 2000s, if you were driving around outside of town, you no doubt would have noticed what some might consider a little piece of heaven, a red farmhouse curated to perfection. It read, homey. It was surrounded by a white picket fence and even a cheery mailbox that was hand-painted with little yellow suns and pink hearts. This is where the no-tacks lived. Stay-at-home mom, Michelle, her husband, Dave, and their three kids. And sometimes, Michelle invited guests to stay. What you might not expect to see as you drove past the Notex idyllic four-acre farm, complete with the bird feeders and wind chimes, on this scenic and quiet country road was a woman slow walking around the yard, naked, who appeared dazed and confused. Yeah, while she was at top of the stairs, lying on the floor, they kicked her twice. One in the face, one in the back of the head, broke her jaw. They went and take her to the hospital. They locked her in the room, started just a head injury from kicking her in the face and the head. So I'd say about five, six days later, she died. It was like five or six days of torture. They tortured her. No one outside of that farmhouse had any idea of the horror that was going on inside until it was too late. But first, let's get back to the beginning, where this all started, with Michelle Notek. Born on April 15, 1964, Michelle Notek, who went by Shelley, had been abandoned as a little girl by her mother. According to Greg Olson's book, If You Tell, A True Story of Murder, Family Secrets, and the Unbreakable Bond of Sisterhood, Michelle and her three brothers lived with their mentally ill, alcoholic mom who would abandon her children when Michelle was just six years old. Michelle and her three brothers would go on to live with their father and his new wife. But instead of bonding together with her brothers after their mother abandoned them, Michelle bullied them. And when she was just 13 years old, she found out that her mother had been actually murdered by her boyfriend. The stepmother would later say that Michelle never asked about her mother and growing up would repeatedly torment her brothers. One example, she chopped up bits of glass and put it at the bottom of her brother's shoes. According to family interviews, as a teenager, Michelle would accuse relatives of abuse. These accusations would prove to be unfounded. And throughout her young life, Michelle appeared to take pleasure in creating chaos, manipulating situations, and abusing those that she perceived were weak. 
Michelle grew into a pretty young woman, and she married her high school sweetheart and had a baby girl, Nikki. But this relationship didn't last long and ended in divorce. Michelle would marry for a second time and had another daughter, Sammy. That marriage, too, would end in divorce. In the early 1980s, Michelle met a man named David Notek. Now, David grew up in Raymond. When he was a young man, he passed a test to become a priest, but enlisted in the Navy and served in the Vietnam War. When David returned home, he went into construction. And in the small town of Raymond, where he grew up, he was well-known and thought of as a great guy, but mild-mannered. Later, after marrying Michelle, he would also be described as weak-willed. Michelle and David married in 1987. And for David, it was everything that he was looking for, a ready-made family. By the time they got married, Michelle's two daughters, Nikki and Sammy, were 12 and 9. Even during their early relationship, David had always bristled at Michelle's barbaric way of disciplining her girls. But by then, she was beating him too. Somewhere along the way, he became complicit in this child abuse against these daughters, but would eventually join Michelle in her abuse. For Michelle, it was always about keeping up outside appearances. Her daughters were always well-dressed, and so was she when she went around town. Michelle acted nice and friendly, well put together. Even so, some folks around town picked up on some inconsistencies in her personality. She picked up the nickname Crazy Shelly. They would snicker at her behind her back. She'd earned this reputation because of her quick and random temper, because she could snap, and she couldn't always keep her temper under wraps at all times. But for the most part, everything on the outside of their family life at the farm appeared to be ideal. But behind closed doors, the girls alleged that their mother had been physically, mentally, and emotionally abusing them for years. It would take years for the girls to come forward when they were adults, and the stories they told were shocking. They would say that their mother would force them to sleep outside in freezing weather, or would lock them up in a chicken coop outside. Another beyond cruel punishment, Michelle called the wallowing. She would demand that the girls take off their clothes and roll around in the mud. They would have to wallow if they did something like going to the bathroom without asking. But it was after the wallowing, after they rolled around in the wet and cold mud, that Michelle would blast frigid hose water on them. And as the girls matured into teenagers, her daughters would say that she forced them to cut bits of their pubic hair off while she watched and laughed. A grotesque drama of manipulation, degradation, and violence. All of this for the pleasure of a woman, a mother, who got off on playing twisted mind games with people. She was a master manipulator who took pleasure in the pain, suffering, and embarrassment of others. And one vicious attack would leave her daughter's face dripping with blood after Michelle plunged her head through a glass door, then shouted, Look what you made me do! A year after Michelle and David's marriage in 1988, Michelle invited her 13-year-old nephew, Shane Watson, to come live with them. Shane's father was in jail and his mother didn't have the means to care for him. So Michelle offered to take care of Shane, who was described as a sweet boy who loved the outdoors. The reality is that Shane had had a really tough life. His grandmother had been murdered. Shane's mother struggled with substance abuse. And his dad was in a biker gang who had been sentenced to hard time behind bars. He was the perfect vulnerable soul for Michelle to welcome into her home. Shane's grandfather, who was his legal guardian, felt like the move to this idyllic farmhouse with Aunt Shelley and step-uncle David was a blessing. 
Just what a growing boy who loved the outdoors and yearned for a loving family needed. But in the cruelest of ironies, Shane became another person for Aunt Shelley to torment and physically abuse. We'll be back after a quick break. In 1988, Shane Watson came to live with them. It wasn't long after Shane settled into life at the no-tech farmhouse before he, too, was forced to wallow with his cousins. But Michelle added a new, dark humiliation. She commanded one of her daughters to slow dance naked with their cousin, Shane. The cycle of abuse Michelle heaped on her family also featured, after the beatings, after the wallowing, and all the other horrors, a period of contrition in this toxic manipulation loop, where Michelle would be sweet as pie, showering her victims with love and gifts and attention. Of course the kids didn't tell anyone about the abuse. Who could they trust? And what would Michelle do to them if she found out they'd spilled her horrible secrets? Despite Michelle's earned nickname around town of Crazy Shelley, no one actually believed that anything crazy was going on in Michelle's head, or at the no-tech farm, especially not Kathy Loreno, Michelle's good friend. So Kathy had moved with her mom and other siblings when she was 19 from California. The family had been really excited for a fresh start after Kathy's stepfather had tragically been killed in a car accident, and life hadn't been easy for Kathy. Kathy's father worked in the movie business and died in an accident on the set of a television show. Kathy worked at Bobby's Beauty Parlor, where she was known to be the sweetest person, kind but quiet with a love of simple pleasures like chatting with clients and then settling in at home with her mom for a quiet night watching TV. According to Kathy's big brother, Jeff Loreno, despite Kathy's close relationship with her mom, they'd had a little bit of a falling out. Time for Kathy to get out on her own. My dad passed away. He got killed in filming Universal Studios, filming, filming uh, Black Sheep Squadron with Robert Conrad. So she got a little money, she bought a little house, and my mom kept telling her, get away, you know, you need to move out of this place and start your life. So that's when they got in a little argument, and she moved out. The family friction caused Kathy to temporarily stay with a friend, and it was during this time that another catastrophic disappointment happened in her life. She lost her job, which was a devastating blow that had significant financial implications, not to mention the gut punch to her self-esteem especially at a time when she was trying to prove to her family and herself that she could be independent. It all seemed to be falling apart. But then, a lifeline from Michelle Notek. Michelle had been one of Kathy's clients, and they'd become really good friends. So when Kathy confided to Michelle about her moving out of her mom's house and losing her job, Michelle was more than a listening ear. She offered Kathy safe harbor at the Notek farmhouse. At the time, Michelle was in the later months of her pregnancy with her third child, another baby girl, and she could see that Kathy was in a precarious state, financially, and also estranged from her family. So with a wide-eyed smile, she offered Kathy to move into the farmhouse rent-free in exchange for being a nanny and mother's helper. There's a photo of Michelle and Kathy during this time, as Kathy sits in an easy chair and Michelle sits on her lap. Both women are smiling and happy with their arms around each other, they look like two happy women who are enjoying each other's company. Given Kathy's situation, her desperation, I'm sure she was so happy to have a friend like Michelle. How could she ever know that she just made a deal with the devil? 
1991, Kathy moved into the home of the Notex. She had no idea about the abuse going on, the wallowing, and other horrendously cruel and evil things that Shane, Nikki, and Sammy had endured at the hands of Michelle. And things are good after Michelle's third daughter is born, Tori. But as time went on, Shelley laid off of Shane and the girls, focusing all of her rage, toxic manipulation, and cruelty on her new tenant, Kathy. Some might say, what happened next in the home is inexplicable. How the Notek family turned on Kathy, including the children. But others point to Michelle's use of what's called coercive control to explain this horrendous Lord of the Flies mentality. According to womensaid.org, domestic abuse isn't always physical. Coercive control is an act or a pattern of acts of assault, threats, humiliation, and intimidation or other abuse that is used to harm punish or frighten their victim. This controlling behavior is designed to make a person dependent by isolating them from support, exploiting them, depriving them of independence, and regulating their everyday behavior. It's through this coercive control that Michelle makes it clear to her children, her nephew Shane, and her husband David, that those who don't participate in abusing and torturing Kathy will receive the same treatment. One of Michelle's daughters would later say, quote, I think she meant to abuse Kathy, just like she abused us. She got off on it. She liked the power. She liked doing it. And it got worse and worse. It's a horrible thing when a mother turns her children into co-conspirators, as Michelle did, in her disgusting and despicable crimes of torture and cruelty. But Jeff Loreno, Kathy's brother, says what was done to his sister is unforgivable. Let's just say, good thing I don't see them. They live in a different state because they knew what's right or wrong. They know what they were doing. They're chasing around Kathy in the house, trying to stab her with scissors. They're like seven, eight years old. They know what's going on. And then the older ones even knew what's going on. They didn't call the police. I Granted, they were all scared and stuff. I understand that. But they let all that happen. When Kathy first joined the family, she was in her early 30s and in good health. Life on the family farm with Michelle's new baby couldn't have been more pleasant. Kathy was treated like a family member. But somewhere along the lines, things changed. It was all good. They were friends, and Kathy took care of Shelly's kid when they were younger. And then I don't know what happened. A couple years later, she turned on her. You know what it was? It was um, Kathy finally got away from Shelly because she couldn't take anymore. It started getting bad. And then Shelly, and then Kathy was at the mall with one of her friends, and Shelly happened to be at the mall and started reaming Kathy, you know, bitching at her and this and that. And Kathy had to go with her, with Shelly. So it was jealousy. Jeff believes that his sister Kathy was trying to get away. After that mall incident, she got all pissed off at Kathy, and then she was mean after that. And it seemed like about a month later, Kathy disappeared. We couldn't find her anymore. Every time we call over there, I talk to Shelly, where's Kathy? Oh, she's with Rocky. They're on vacation. The abuse against Kathy continued to ramp up. Everyone in the house was involved in the beatings, and Michelle forced Kathy to walk through the house doing chores naked, even shoving her down to the floor, making her crawl on all fours around the house. Michelle starved Kathy in the beginning, but then forced her to eat rotten food and participate in Michelle's favorite tools of torture, pouring boiling hot water and bleach into Kathy's open wounds. She was also drugged and compelled to eat pure salt. Kathy was made to wallow in the wet mud and then brutally hosed down with cold water. 
She was made to live and work outside in freezing temperatures with little or no clothing. Given the level and frequency of abuse sustained inside and outside of the home, Kathy's health continued to plummet, especially after she was relegated to live as a prisoner in an old pump house on the property. Around this time, Kathy received a last beating that, according to Jeff, was the result of Michelle shouting out to her nephew Shane to kick Kathy in the head, knowing that he was wearing steel-toed boots. Michelle made him kick your sister in the head with those steel-toed boots. Yeah, while she was at the top of the stairs, lying on the floor, they kicked her twice. One in the face, one in the back of the head, broke her jaw. They went and take her to the hospital. How do you recover from a broken jaw if you don't go to the hospital? You don't and also the brain injury. So I'd say about five, six days later, she died. They wouldn't take her to the hospital. It was like five or six days of torture, they tortured her. The Notech family finally realized that this last beating was more than even Kathy could endure. They worried because they knew that she could die. So they brought Kathy into the laundry room inside the house. And at this point, Kathy had been so beaten down and brutalized that she couldn't walk or talk. She'd lost her vision and was choking on her own vomit. This was the point when David, Michelle's husband, gave first aid to Kathy. She's not breathing. I tried to clean out her air passage. I tried doing CPR, but no air was getting to her lungs. Nothing was happening. I realized she was gone. I waited for Michelle to get home and explain what happened. This had never happened before. We were terrified. We were just normal people, and I'd never seen anything like that before. I'd never been around a, a, a deceased person. After six years of torture in the home, Kathy died in 1994. As a result of this abuse, Loreno lost 100 pounds. Her hair and teeth had fallen out, and she declined physically and mentally. Near the end of her life, she couldn't walk or talk, and one side of her face drooped, her vision had declined significantly, and she was covered in vomit. What Michelle and David didn't know was that Shane took Polaroid photos of Kathy naked, covered in bruises and crawling on the floor just before she died. These photos documented the horrendous abuse that she'd endured over so many years at the Notech household. Shane hid those photos in a teddy bear. After Kathy died, it wasn't over. Her body would be subject to another abuse. David built a homemade crematorium in the backyard and Shane helped him burn Kathy's remains. Here's David Notech in an interview with the police. Constructed a, you know, a fire around her that encompassed everything with tin, and that's how the procedure went. It's believed that David and Shane went to a nearby beach to dispose of Kathy's charred ashes. And then I went to a series of uh, trips to disperse her ashes. After Kathy's remains were disposed of, Michelle threatened if anyone contacted the police or told anybody what had happened to Kathy, that she would kill the entire family. More Murder Chronicles after the break. Now, Kathy was last seen in 1994, but her family had been suspicious of Shelley for years. They contacted the Pacific County Police Department and filed a missing persons report. The police went for a welfare check at the Notech farmhouse, but Michelle was ready. She had crafted a story saying that Kathy had taken off with a trucker named Rocky, that she'd left town years before. And Michelle even produced a photo of Kathy next to a trucker in front of a semi-truck. 
Jeff Loreno says he was already suspicious about what was going on at that farmhouse for years. But when he heard about Michelle's story about Kathy just taking off with some guy and not telling anyone, he was like, no way. There was no Rocky. They already killed her. Without any proof that a crime had been committed, law enforcement felt there was nothing that they could do. When law enforcement goes back to Kathy's family, saying their hands are tied, people are free to walk away from their lives. They push back. They beg them to believe when they say that Kathy just would not up and leave. The family is convinced that their beloved Kathy has met with foul play and that Michelle Notek is involved. They contact the local paper and put a photo of Kathy under the header of a missing person. But of course, no one comes forward. No one knows what has been happening at the farmhouse. And so they hired a private investigator. After researching the case, the PI speculated that Kathy was more likely dead than alive and that Michelle somehow was involved. But without evidence, the missing person's case goes cold. What no one knew but Shane was that he had those pictures, those horrible photos of Kathy's beaten, starved, and tortured body that he'd taken after that fatal blow that he delivered with his steel-toed boot at the behest of his aunt, Michelle. It's believed that Shane took the photos because he had planned to go to the police, and he was building up courage to do so. Unfortunately, he confided his plans to his cousin, and she went and told her mother. By now, you can imagine what Michelle's response was. Shortly after Kathy's disappearance in 1994, Shane vanished without a trace. In an interview years later, David would confess that Michelle forced him to murder his stepnephew because Michelle said that she couldn't control him anymore, that Shane was going to tell the authorities what had happened to Kathy. He was going to talk. I just walked over there and pointed the gun at him. I was just trying to protect my family's dignity. David Notek had disposed of Shane's body in his homemade crematorium in the backyard, just like he did with Kathy. He'd scattered Shane's ashes on the beach. And this time, after Shane's murder, Michelle went on the defense, not waiting for anyone to show up looking or asking questions about him. Michelle reported Shane as a runaway to the police and at school, saying her nephew had left town on a fishing boat headed for Alaska. And life goes on. A few years later, when Michelle's daughters, Nikki and Sammy, were old enough, they fled their mother and the demented farmhouse. But they were worried about their little sister, Tori, and also their mother's new boarder, another vulnerable person who was down on their luck that had the misfortune of becoming friends with Michelle Notek. According to the Seattle Times, friends and relatives of Ronald Woodworth, or Ron, believed that he had met Michelle Notek sometime in 1999 around the town of Raymond. He was an avid walker. Ron was from California. He served in the Vietnam War, and he also went to the University of California at Berkeley to study Egyptology. According to a good friend, Ron had a good job with the Air Force in California, but quit to move to Raymond, Washington. And later, his elderly parents joined him there. But Ron fell on hard times. He was evicted from his mobile home in Raymond, and his friends and family noticed that his behavior grew more and more erratic, and they worried about his mental health. But through all of the ups and downs happening in Ron's life, he continued to spend a lot of time with Michelle Notek. 
But like Kathy, Michelle saw that Ron was struggling. Michelle was there to offer a helping hand. In October 2001, after Ron had been having some issues with his family, Michelle Notek invited him to live at the Little Red Farmhouse. He was vulnerable and somewhat estranged from his family. And he wasn't there long before Michelle's cycle of abuse, manipulation, and torture began. And Tori, now a teenager, had a front row seat for all of it. And Tori would report what was happening back to her older sisters. She explained that their new tenant, Ron, was now being beaten and tortured regularly. All the things that had been done to Kathy were now being done to Ron. And so one day, one of Michelle's older daughters builds up the courage to walk into the police station and finally reveals to them what has transpired over the last 10 years. That all three girls had been physically abused by their parents, and so had their guests. Shane and Kathy, who had been murdered, that Michelle had starved, drugged, and tortured her victims, that they'd been forced to jump off the roof barefoot for Michelle's own pleasure, that she made them drink urine and poured boiling hot water and bleach into their open wounds. And so police began to investigate what happened to Kathy. And when they tried to interview Michelle, she was absolutely no help. And without any evidence, they would say that their hands were tied. When they tried to speak with Ron, he wouldn't talk to them either. It just didn't make sense, especially when they saw him walking around the farmhouse property, sort of looking and acting strangely. But he wouldn't talk to them. Jeff, Kathy's brother, has strong feelings about the Pacific County Sheriff's Office. In my opinion, I think it was fucking laziness. It pissed me off. It took two years. Kept bitching on, bitching on, most so-and-so there, always on vacation. What do you mean he's on vacation? Nothing got done for like a year. Now, I had requested an interview with the Pacific County Sheriff's Office, which they denied. Later, court documents would reveal that Michelle's youngest daughter, Tori, had witnessed Michelle and David inflict physical and emotional abuse on Ron. That was exactly the same as what they did to Kathy, forcing his feet into boiling water until the skin peeled off, making him jump from the second-story roof onto gravel, causing broken bones and deep cuts that Michelle would further burn when she poured that boiling water infused with bleach onto. And Ron was also seen working in the yard with bare feet, wearing only underwear. Ron was last seen in July 2003. A month later, in August, both of Michelle's older daughters would go to the police station with fresh horrors to share. They told them that their 14-year-old sister, Tori, who was still living at the farmhouse, said that Ron was in imminent danger and that Tori was terrified, believing that she too would be killed. Not if, but when Ron is murdered. With these new details, police go back to the Notech home with Child Protective Services. And as soon as they pull up, the youngest daughter, Tori, rushes out, telling police that she is afraid for her life. And she reveals that there are bloody shoes and clothes in the barn that belong to Ron. Child Protective Services take the teen into custody, and then police get a search warrant for the Notech property. As this is happening, Michelle is nowhere to be found, but David Notek goes to the police station demanding to get his daughter back. When they ask David to answer some questions, he finally says that Michelle had called him at work saying that Ron was dead. She just said, well, got something going on here or something like that. And I said, what are you talking about? You know, I, I'll, I'll tell you. Got just, you know, like that. So. And then you knew. That Ron was dead. Yeah, I didn't know for sure, but I had, that was your, I had a good idea. He really liked my wife. He says, I'm sorry I'm such a burden. 
The story was that Ron had committed suicide by jumping out of a tree because he was so depressed. Police went out to the no-tech property. David had said that he had buried Ron in the backyard, and police went out to the property and found him. But an autopsy performed on Ron made it clear that he died from severe beatings, poor diet, and exposure. Eventually, they are able to track down Michelle at a nearby property. In the year 2001, while working in the capacity of a case manager for that organization that helps vulnerable seniors, Michelle had visited one of her clients at home, an 81-year-old Pearl Harbor survivor named Mac, who lived alone and had hired Michelle to help care for him. But just a few months into Michelle's care, Mac would write a will bequeathing all of his possessions to her, nearly $9,000 and his home. But he made a stipulation that these assets were meant for Michelle to take care of his beloved dog, Sissy. Michelle could only get the house after his dog died. Roughly six months later, Mac died from a blow to the head while in Michelle's care. Ironically, Mac was really good friends with Kay Thomas, the mother of Kathy Loreno. Kay pushed the Pacific County Sheriff's Office to investigate Mac's death. According to Kathy's brother, they were already suspicious of the Notex because of Kathy's disappearance. And after Mac passed away, under suspicious circumstances, they were convinced that Michelle had something to do with it. I talk to the FBI, I go, how come you haven't checked into this stuff? Oh, well, it's a good idea. I go, what do you mean it's a good idea? You're an FBI agent. You've been doing this for 20 years, and you didn't think that Shelly, because she, was a, she took care of these people out their homes, you didn't investigate other murderers? So he did, and that's how they found Max, but they couldn't prove it. And Max was just one of them. She tried to take his house. She's killed before. There's more people. That's just like I said before. Someone's stealing money from you, and you just caught him. Shelly's killed before. Seniors, I know she has. No charges have ever been filed against Michelle in Max's death. A side note, even though there was a for sale sign on Max's house, Sissy, Max's dog, would later be found on the no-tech property alive and well. After Tori was taken into Child Protective Services and David Notek was talking with police about what had transpired at the farmhouse, authorities found Michelle hiding out at Mac's house and she was taken into custody, but immediately lawyered up. David, on the other hand, began talking about the murder of his stepnephew, Shane. Ultimately, David Notek pleaded guilty to second-degree murder for shooting and killing Shane Watson and for burying Ron's body in the yard. Initially, Michelle was charged with two counts of first-degree murder, but in a shocking turn of events, those charges were reduced because prosecutors didn't believe they had enough evidence to win, and also they didn't want the girls to have to testify against their mother. Michelle was then charged with second-degree murder in Kathy Loreno's death and with manslaughter in the death of Ron Woodworth. Michelle agreed to an Alford plea. An Alford plea, also known as a best interest plea, registers a formal admission of guilt toward charges in criminal court, while the defendant simultaneously expresses their innocence toward those same charges. This deal, crafted between Michelle's defense attorneys and prosecutors, would send her to prison for 17 years, if the judge agreed. But he didn't. It was at his discretion. And he sentenced Michelle Notek to the maximum under the deal, 13 and a half years for the murder of Kathy Loreno and eight and a half years for the manslaughter of Ron Woodworth. In 2003, Michelle Notek, then 50, was sentenced to 22 years in prison, which Jeff, Kathy's brother, feels will never be enough. Have you ever, have you been able to figure out why this woman did this? 
to your sister. Why no, did she no do this? Knows. She won't tell us. She does, we don't know. She doesn't even know why she said. She said that Kathy was a friend, and she doesn't know why she did it. I don't know why. It seems like this was Shelly's sick, demented. She enjoyed it. She's a sick, demented woman. That's another thing I'm going to bring up, her sickness and stuff. That woman is pure evil. David Notek was paroled in 2018 after serving a 15-year prison sentence. None of the Notek children speak with their mother. They believe any contact with her would endanger them and their families. The family felt that their lives were on borrowed time. They knew that Shelley was scheduled to be released in June of 2022. And Kathy's brother, Jeff, says over his dead body. You know, I haven't wrote my speech down yet, but basically that girl's a murderer. Her family scared to death of her. She killed my mother's best friend. She killed my sister. And not only did she kill her, it wasn't a collapse and they were shot in the head. They tortured her for five or six days, for Christ's sake. This lady shouldn't be out in public. She's a murderer. That was your granddaughter or your daughter. You're going to sit here and let her out and go to life and go have fun and go to the beach and go out for dinner and enjoy life? No. She should rot in jail. She murdered a person. Their life is over. Why should she be allowed to go out and have fun after killing someone? One bright spot was when Jeff received a surprising call from a woman who said she was Michelle's ex-girlfriend in prison who wanted to talk. Called me a couple years ago when she got out of jail. And these were, she was the badass of the whole prison up there in, in Gig Harbor. And they said uh, that was her girlfriend for a couple of years. And then after they saw Wicked Attraction, they got, um, they all turned against her and they started kicking her ass every day. She was beaten up so many times. And they had to put her in solitary confinement. Then her heart started going bad. Now she has a bad heart. She's in solitary confinement. I'm not sure if she's out in the population yet. I don't think so. But I hope she dies in jail. Concerned about Michelle's imminent parole, her three grown daughters reached out to author Greg Olson to write that book about their family in an effort to bring attention to their mother's potential release in 2022. And Michelle's daughters had a reason to be worried. Recently, their mother, Michelle Notek, was released from prison. According to a report in the Chinook Observer dated November 11, 2022, quote, the community of Raymond is reacting to news that convicted murderer Michelle Notek, 68, was released on parole from the Washington Correction Center for Women on November 8th after serving just over 19 years. Before I let you go, I wanted to thank you again for listening to The Murder Chronicles and also remind you to check out our bonus content. Every week, my producer Brandon Morgan and I go over the case into more detail. But for ad-free listening, you can check out Cavalry Plus on Apple Podcasts. In putting together this episode, articles in the Seattle PI and The Sun were really helpful, along with Wicked Attraction by ID. The Murder Chronicles is a Cavalry audio production recorded live in the beautiful Pacific Northwest. We're produced by Brandon Morgan and myself. Our executive producers are Dana Brunetti and Keegan Rosenberger. Josh Windish edited and mixed this episode. Music by Soundstripe. For Cavalry Audio, I'm Carolyn Osorio, your writer and host. Thanks for listening. the truth never gets old. 
Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.